the new Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson, providing key insights to the most important stories affecting the Black community. Here's your host, Nate Wilson. Welcome to the New Black Society podcast, episode 10. I'm Nate Wilson, your host, and I always say I have a special guest. But today, hold on now, I've got a very, very special, special guest. Uh, she's the creator of Young, Black, and Fabulous, one of the largest and most influential celebrity entertainment digital platforms out there. She started the blog back in 2005, and she turned it into a multimedia powerhouse. It was the, it is the most popular Black Hollywood gossip blog in the world. I don't think your favorite gossip pages on IG would exist without her pioneering the way. She currently runs the YBF podcast. She does YBF politics. She's an entrepreneur, a creator, a host, a life liver, and killer of hoteps and misogynistic men on Facebook. <laughs> my homie, <laughs> Natasha Eubanks. What's up? Oh my God, I'm cracking up. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Hello, hello. Okay, so it's 2020. You started the YBF pod, uh, the YBF blog 15 years ago now, right? <sighs> yes. Yep, yep. 15 years this past June, yeah. So did you think that you'd be taking photos with presidents, interviewing celebrities, <laughs> and you'd be the voice of Black women of America? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I was thinking when I started this. Um, actually, I don't know what I was thinking other than there has to be another black girl and I singular like girl, <laughs> there has to be another black girl like me out there. So that's why I started this because I didn't see what I wanted to see out there. I had no idea that a lot of people wanted to see all of these things. So, um, yeah, that's amazing. I love it though. I love it. That's how it turned out. Um, but that was not the original intent. No. Okay. So what was your original intent? Just, I, I was, I'm, I've always been obsessed with celebrity gossip, so it, it really was just a way to fill a void that I saw, and I saw that after years of reading just tabloids, I mean, like, I would, like, keep a collection of tabloids everywhere I went, like, hard paper, I know that some people don't remember that there's print stuff out there still, but like actual magazine tabloids, Us Weekly and In Touch and all of them, um, I used to keep a stack of them everywhere I went. Even when I was in law school, like I would literally have them hidden in my books. And I think that I just noticed that there was nothing really spoken about when it came to black celebrities. And I feel like at that time, it was 2005. So at that time, it was either Beyonce and Jay-Z or Shanti. Mm -hmm. And that that's was right. pretty much it that, 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 and I think maybe Nelly every now and then, because that's when they were semi dating publicly. So I feel like I was like, well, I mean, there has to be more people than this. And right. yes, there was jet magazine, you know, stuff like that. But I was 20, 20 at the time, 20. Oh God. How old was I? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, something like that. 22, something like that at the time. And it's like, I wasn't re I'm not Jet Magazine's, you know, demo. So there was nothing out there that I saw that could be comparable to things like Pink is a New Blog or even Perez Hilton, who were the only two blogs that I knew of at that time that were covering things on a daily basis about all celebrities except mm. for black celebrities. So I wanted to do the same thing. And so I kind of just took what they did and flipped it you know, taught myself basics of coding in order to form my own blog. And 
I was just scouring the internet for information for, for anybody black that I cared about, that I want to know more about. I didn't know if the info was new or old. So I knew that I couldn't be the only black girl that cared. So I was just doing it as one. I was bored. You know, like I had finished college. I was waiting on law school to start. I was bored. And I also just wanted to, I wanted the info. I'm just obsessed with celebrity gossip. So that's what happened. Well, I tell you what, it certainly reached a lot of black people, including myself, mm-hmm. because I know it was around 2006. I was 22 and 06. So we're around the same age. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think it was the YBF.blogspot.com, was it? Yep. yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember it was that. That's exactly and what it was. That's exactly what it was. So it was YBF.blogspot. And I was looking at it, I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. This is like, and I would sit at my job because I was a call center rep back then. And it would just yes. it was the perfect way to go through my entire day. I said, let me go check and see what Natasha's posted up next. Because there was <laughs> no websites out there for, right. for celebrity blogs, for the um, celebrity gossip. So right. then I tried to fashion it and try to say, well, I'm gonna do a blog too. I'm gonna do a blog too. Uh, but not really celebrity gossip. It's gonna be mm-hmm. more like black culture. And I was gonna try to model it after YBF. And I was really uh, just killing myself because I was doing these long form written typed out right. things. Right. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, this is not really working out the same way. But <laughs> you definitely inspired me to get into the blogosphere. I did get into the blogosphere. I went to all those, remember Blogging While Brown conferences? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And, and I went to all of those and it, w- it just felt exciting to be a part of something uh, mm-hmm. That was changing the perspective of Black culture mm-hmm. through the media. And now it's like in 2020, where do you, like, what's your opinion of where Black media is now? In a lot of ways, I feel like things have not changed at all. And in some ways, I think it has, but not changed in the way that people might be thinking I'm talking about. Yes, I feel like Black media is more visible, but does that mean that we're suddenly doing something just hella different? than black media has always done? No, I think it's kind of a forced, it's almost like things have been brought to the forefront so much uh, um, to prove that white mainstream media and other people have blatantly ignored black media for umpteen years before I even started this. I mean, this has been going on. I remember reading an article um, I can't remember which, I feel like it was called The Advocate or something like that. It was a black newspaper that wrote an article, I mean like, decades ago about black media being ignored and not being treated equally and you know all the things that we go through now and I was like damn this has been happening for like 50 years I didn't know that so I don't think that we're doing anything drastically differently than we've always done which is constantly reinventing the game and constantly being like the trendsetters and constantly being out there like us covering our own stuff that people want to know about but don't want to credit us for i think that is still happening but now people are in a way kind of forced to give us credit and forced to give us a spotlight um which i mean hell if that's the way it has to be then that's the way it has to be you know if you wouldn't do it on your own then sometimes you have to force your hand but i don't think if that makes sense i don't think it's because we did anything differently i think people are just waking up to the fact that we've been here we are here and now it's time you all paid attention and actually gave us our credit since you take our stories and act like you you created them 
So right. I think in that way, <laughs> things have changed. <laughs> and but in the other way, um, I don't think I think I think things are, you know, it, it, yes, there's more black media, I think, obviously, because we have a digital landscape. Now, this is a global situation. Like now we have Internet. So, yes, everything. I think every industry, no matter what industry you're in, has expanded in some way, shape, or form. Um, but I think at the crux of what this is, I think black media is still black media. You know, um, I think that we have changed the game a lot more than others have. I think that we're the ones that kind of are in the forefront of things and people follow our lead. And yes, they usually have more resources than us, which is part of the problem. Yeah. And they usually have parent companies and money and all these other things to kind of co-op the conversation or co-op the, the, the change that everyone's seen and act like they invented it. So yeah, it seems like it's just them doing this, but I think, I think it's something that we've always done. We just can't do always on the same scale as say a people magazine or even a TMZ or somebody like that. So, um, yeah, I hope that makes sense. But no, that um, makes total sense. That makes total sense. And you made and you said yeah. something that uh, I really wanted to ask you and, and and follow up with, which just came down to the ownership of the culture, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that at, at times <laughs> you've been outspoken about culture vultures. Oh God. Yes, and and uh, you know I'm not going to say any names, but I think you, you know can say names. Okay. Because I say Kim names Kardashian. all the time. I don't care. You sure do. <laughs> all right. So Kim Kardashian, uh, mm -hmm. listen, my wife hates her, by the way. She is Come on, wife. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She's 100% <laughs> on board. She, I mean, she really goes in because I have an 11 year old daughter and she's a, mm -hmm. she's a Kim fan. And then I think with a Kylie fan and all that type of stuff. And I'm not quite sure if she's trying to troll her or not, or just trying to see what kind of like reaction she's going to get but she yeah. breaks it down and says like you know she steals from black women and yeah. honestly i didn't really see what she meant at first i'm like what are you talking about she didn't steal from black women like yes she does and, oh yes she does uh, and i was like well how does she do that like what is she, what do you mean by that like and i wanted to hear from you like how do they get away with doing this well white people have been getting away with that since the beginning of time this isn't anything new um, it's nothing that's ever going to change until white people start holding themselves accountable and, and black people stop allowing it, you know, and I, when I say allow it, I mean, not calling it out, allowing it to slip under the radar, but also getting upset with other black people that are calling it out and verbally and vocally excusing the culture vultureness when we see it, that kind of stuff has to stop. So I understand that there's a fine line. Actually, it's really not that fine, but I'm just trying to give people the benefit of the doubt, a fine line between people admiring the culture and wanting to participate and loving the culture and wanting to be a part of it. I don't think anyone has an issue with that. The issue comes in when you, the person with the privilege and power, says that you created something or you implied that you created something and you do not give any credit to where you know damn well where you mm -hmm. got it from. That is the problem because usually I don't see them doing that to each other. I read all, I read literally almost a hundred sites a day. Like I, it's, that's my job. So I see them crediting everyone else all the time. And we have had to, 
get very like gully with people because at some point you get very tired of it and you just kind of lose it and you start spending your money on lawyers to get them to act right. And right. we've had to come at certain people and come at their legal department because that's the only way they listen um, when you start threatening them. And in order for them to see, I, I see that y'all have no problem crediting literally any other mainstream news site with this piece, with this type of news piece. You know, like you never have a problem with saying first reported by, or we have further details on a story that was first broken by this site, you know, something like that. Same yeah. thing with fashion. You know, I have, I see no white people having an issue with crediting people that came before them with the look that they're trying to impersonate. Kim always is talking about her love for Cher. I love that she has a love for Cher. Great, because at least you're being very clear about where you're getting your hair, your look, your makeup, your feel, your vibe for whatever shoots that you're doing. It makes sense. It's fine. The problem comes in when y'all just, just cease to be able to do that when you've gotten some inspiration from black people. That's mm. where my issue comes in. So we've had to hit up certain mainstream publications with my lawyers and be like, you have to either change what you said or take it down because you will not claim credit for something that we literally broke two days ago about people mm. you don't even ever talk about. You don't even talk mm. about them. So I know you didn't break the story and you used our information, like our you know, leaked documents or things like that put your own watermarks over it or, you know, said that you broke the story, you, you have the exclusive, when I know you're lying, because I know the source personally, so I know you're lying. Wow. And when we provided that type of proof, oh, everybody backtracked. Everybody's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry we didn't know. No, no, you knew. But you're used to getting away with it because most black media, one, don't have the resources to do what I was just doing at that time, but also don't even know how or why or wasting their time to do that. Who has time? I didn't have time all these years, but you get to a point where you're like, no, like it's, it's about the principle at some point. I'm not going to have you keep stealing my shit. Like I'm just not going to do it. And that crosses all industries, whether it's fashion, whether it's just culture and lifestyle, um, beauty, that's a big thing in the beauty community too. Um, whether it's even TikTok, that's a huge, I don't know if you saw that article a few days ago about black TikTokers speaking out about all their stuff being stolen yes. and them getting nothing for it. But the white, the main, the main TikTokers are all white and they basically just take the dances that are created by black girls yes. and get paid all kind of money for, you know, sponsorships or whatever to half-ass do the dance. And that's what we're talking about. No one has an issue with you loving what we do. The issue comes in when the only person profiting off of it is not the person that created it. And not only that, you didn't even use an inch of your platform to say where you got it from. That's, that's an integrity issue. That's an ethic issue, an ethics issue. That's a, um, that's a journalistic standard issue when it comes to my field. It's a whole lot of issues there. So it yeah, is. I have a huge problem with it. I do. And I don't, I don't understand why that's a problem to have a problem. What the hell? <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. And is, but is there a, like a legal process? You mentioned you, had, you got your lawyers Absolutely. involved. Absolutely. And, okay, so there's a whole legal, there's a whole legality Okay, and you take there's a There's a, um, <clears throat> copyright is difficult when it comes to a constantly updated digital site. 
um, because that means you technically, you have an inherent copyright in anything that you say or do in writing or say or things like that. It's an inherent copyright. But when it comes to someone just cut and pasting, it gets a little tricky when you want to take that to court because to get an actual copyright and to get an actual trademark, you know, it's to say that somebody actually infringed on what you did. They have to infringe on something that you actually copyrighted with the courts or actually trademarked with the courts. You're not going to copyright and trademark every single post that you do. You know what I'm saying? Right, so right. there's a difference between something holding up in court and something that you know that they still know is wrong and you're just going to threaten it. And in the court of public opinion, they know that they're going to have an issue. So they, they might serious. backtrack. Oh, yes. So we went public with it. I got my lawyers involved and then also took it to Twitter and Instagram. And I think that's when other people picked up on it, including other black media, which I definitely appreciate. Um, other black media, they're like, we're tired of y'all doing this. Y'all always do this. You always steal from us and don't give us credit where you know that you're going to get the pickup from it. You're going to get the traffic from it. The least you can do is say originally reported by XYZ. Y'all do it for everybody else, but not for black people. So everybody corrected, the, it was like 10 sites that did this. Everybody corrected their story because mm. they didn't like the fact that public opinion was getting involved and lawyers were down their throat. They didn't like it. Um, but that's what it takes sometimes. And yeah, I have to pick my battles, but this time it was so blatant <laughs> that I was like, I'm not letting this go. Like, I don't even care at this point. And I don't take anything public. We, we do not mention other websites for 15 years. It's been my policy to not mention other websites, good or bad. We'll source people and say, you know, this is first reported by, you know, whatever, but we do not talk bad or good. We don't even mention other sites for the sake of mentioning them. That's just not our thing. Um, this time, no, nah, cause y'all stole from me and that's a problem. So, I, yeah. No, I can totally uh, co-sign that because I've never seen you mention any other sites except when you're like literally citing another yeah, yeah. site for, for, for yeah. reference and stuff like that. Exactly. You're always going by the letter of the law. I certainly appreciate that. Uh, but I also like noticed that like in YouTube as well, like I went down a rabbit hole one day and I was looking at a lot of black uh, female uh, YouTube makeup artist pages. Yeah. And I've noticed that these white YouTube artists are like taking the exact concepts and styles yep. and story times and they've got like millions more followers. Yep. Like That's millions. What and, and it's, it's just like, like the least you can do, the hmm. least you can do, because I can't control what the masses in the world do. They're going to hmm. always shift. People are going to want to watch who, who reflects them on screen. And I'm not sure why people don't see why that's why black people want to see more of ourselves on screen, but mm -hmm. this is human nature. People mm -hmm. drift more towards whoever looks like them on screen. There are literally more white people in, um, I'm talking about America. There are literally more white people when it comes to certain communities, when it comes to YouTube and stuff like that, if we're talking about American content creators. Right. I mean, yeah, British too. Like it's usually like either, there's so many British makeup artists. So it's usually like British and American people that are the main people you see, not the only people, but the main people we're talking about. So yes, there's more white people. So it's more people are going to flock toward what that white person is saying or doing. Now they could half-ass it. They could be horrible at it. 
I watch makeup tutorials all day because it just calms me. I love it. It just stays on my TV. So I know a lot of them, white people too. There's certain white girls I like to watch. There's certain white guys I like to watch because I like their feel and their vibe and they're also woke. So I like that. But yes, I mainly watch black YouTubers because I'm looking at people that have my complexion. So I know how to put on makeup, right? Like that's just, that just makes sense. So at the very least of what these white people can do, with that type of privilege and platform is to say, I got this idea from, and they tend to do that when it's their friend and who are they usually friends with other white people. And that's fine. But if you can do that with your friend, why can't you do that from, and I can name so many black YouTube artists, but one of the black YouTube artists that I know you got this from girl, I know you did not come up with this idea yourself because you don't even know what a band to not is. Stop Mm. it. Uh, that is so true. That is so, so. Is there? Do you feel like there's a lot of pressure uh, to make money with the media that you're putting out there? Like, there's corporate sponsorships. Do mm-hmm. you feel like we have to be beholden to them? Uh, does it censor you in any way? Have you had those type of issues? Oh, that's such a tricky question. Um, so the way I've always operated this site is to do whatever we want to do and the money and the hits will come. And that's always been the case literally for 15 years. It just has been the case. The thing that I have run into over the last few years, and it's not our doing, it's not really a publisher's doing. It's just the change of the space. Um, Especially when it comes to Google who now owns like 75 to 80% of the digital advertising marketplace, which is a problem in itself, but whatever because they have basically a monopoly on the digital advertising space. Now that things have moved mainly to programmatic advertising, they do, and this is the problem with monopolies, they do have control kind of over what publishers like me can and can't do in order to make money off of our content. And it's just a really tricky relationship between Google and publishers right now. And I will say I'm happy that we're in a place where we have like, you know, Google admins that we can talk to and we have like account, like an account person that we can talk to and we can get, we can bounce ideas off of and see like what the changes are. Also have a team of developers and a team of server technicians. So they stay on top of every little change that Google does. But that's kind of like, if you don't have that type of thing in place because you don't want to pay for it and trust, trust me, I don't want to pay for it either, but I get it. Um, Mm. If you don't have that type of thing in place, you're kind of blind to all the things that are going on with Google. So you do kind of end up kind of playing to what they want. You know what I mean? And like, you're, yeah, you're kind of like, well, I don't really know what I can and can't do. It's so complicated. It's so many changes. So I'm just going to play on the safe side. A lot of people do that. And I totally understand it. On the flip side, there's a lot of people that don't give a damn and they stay and do whatever they want and just hope that a coin comes in. I respect that too. You know, like it's all about why you started what you started. I never started this for money. There was no money to be made when I started it. There was no such thing. So, you know, I think Google had just started their, um, their advertising situation. So there wasn't a, 
money for content situation yet and not for another few years. So I never started this for that reason. It just became that. And I just decided to learn how to hone the business side of this and focus on that. Um, And over the years, it's evolved into a balancing act. But there's never going to be a time where I just flat out don't address something or flat out don't post something because of money. Like if there's something I know Google's going to be like, we're not going to run ads against that type of content, the hell, I just don't get money for that type of content. Like it just is what it is. I take that out, but I'm going to run it. But at the same time, I still know um, overall, there are certain words I should maybe tweak when I put them in my title. And also that, that plays into a journalistic thing too. Like once you, I've been here for 15 years, so I can't really use the same type of journalistic standard I used 15 years ago. Like we've evolved and we've improved, I hope, to people. Um, oh my God, I went back and looked at, I was on, the, I was on a uh, meeting actually with a Google admin and we were talking about, because I'm going to be migrating, we're doing a whole new site, we're doing all this stuff. So with this hmm. migration, we were talking about like possibly leaving out a lot of our content and just not migrating it over stuff from like 15 years ago. Um, And they were saying that a lot of companies are doing that now. Like a lot of Condé Nast companies did that when they migrated. And a lot of companies doing that because if you look at something that you posted 15 years ago, I was so embarrassed. (laughs) I had to pull up certain things because they were, they had flagged so much crap in our, in our database. We have, I mean, like a hundred thousand articles. It's really ridiculous. And so they have flagged certain things and we had to go find them and do this and do that. And they were like, to be honest with you, do you even just, just take the post down. Like it doesn't even, the, the content is no longer relevant. The way that it's worded, the way that the site, like the, the ratio of words, the pictures, it just isn't up to the standard that you all are doing now. So what a lot of people are doing is just not migrating over content, maybe putting like in like a vault or something like that, that could be accessed at some point, but not allowing it to be crawled by Google because that will for sure, all these new rules that they have in place, it's still, I mean, if it's, if it's something they crawled from 15 years ago, you're still going to be penalized today in 2020. So wow. is it worth it? You know, not yeah. really. When it's something that's not relevant, the, the wording is just bad. Like we, I hope that people have improved after 15 years and how to write and style and things like that. Um, and even the type of content was very lowbrow. It just isn't worth carrying over. One, because most people are not looking at it. Who, who, who searched for an article 15 years ago? Like, right. who? Yeah, nobody. <laughs> and the chances of that even, you searching for something and that article coming up are slim to none. Not coming up on the first three to four pages of Google. So what's the point, you know? So, yeah. yeah, it's a balancing act, you know? There's things that I would say and types of posts that I would allow and do 15 years ago that I would never allow now, not just because of the potential of us being getting strikes and the potential of us um, running like getting banned by Google ads, but it's just not up to the standard that we have now. So it's, it's both for us. Okay. So I want to say that like around 11 years ago, I put up a, I had a blog, it was called the color curve and I put out this, uh, this post and went super, super viral. And I called it the golden age of black TV. And you're around my age, Natasha. So I know you mm-hmm. know. I call the golden age of black TV uh, 1995 to 1996. 
I'm going to name for you the shows that were running those two years. Okay. Uh, Fam- Family Matters, mm-hmm. Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, in its prime, with the black, mm-hmm. with, the, with the dark skin on, Viv. Yes. Uh, Martin, Living Single, Jamie Foxx, The Steve Harvey Show, The Parenthood, The Wayans Brothers, all that, Keenan and Kel, Gullah Gullah Island, and Cousin Skeeter, plus New York Undercover, and The Cosby Wait, Street. what's the island one? Gullah Gullah Island. I do not know what that is. You don't know what Gullah Gullah Island is? That is Gullah show- Gullah Island? Yes, that was a Nick Jr. show. Oh, then no, I don't remember. Even though I did like Nickelodeon, <laughs> but... Well, you know what, I, think I, I was in, I'm going to say, because I was like in 10th grade in 95, so right, yeah, no, right. I wasn't watching Nick. Okay, all right. Well, it was actually kind of entertaining because I had a little sister, but that was that. There was 21 active Black sitcoms on at the same time over a span of two years, featuring some of our favorite actors. I'm talking about Will Smith, Queen Latifah, uh, Tatiana Ali. I feel like right now could possibly surpass that because we've got shows like Blackish, Dear White People, mm-hmm. The Shy, Greenleaf, Black Lightning, Grownish, Snowfall, right. Atlanta, and uh, I think your favorite show right now, P Valley. Ah, I love P Valley. <laughs> but see, a lot of the things that you're naming are also not on regular TV. It's on Netflix, it's on um, premium cable and things like that. So the difference is, Back in those days, everything was on ABC, NBC, Fox, and maybe a couple of, because I don't even think like stuff like FX was even around back then, but like the semi-premium stuff. But nowadays, I do feel like most black shows are on non-network television, outside of like the blackish and stuff like that. But most of the shows that are black-led and black-centered are not on regular TV. Is that a good thing? I'm not sure. I'm honestly not even sure. Because if you think about it, like most people are, well, my friends be like getting stars only for when power was airing. Oh, power starting back. Well, let me go ahead and get my $5 a month stars. Like it's not something that people just have usually. So they might not even know certain shows exist. I mean, thankfully, I think it's a double edged sword. I'm happy because these are networks that don't have to play the game of politics when it comes to the type of content. They're more privatized. They're more um, able to take risks with certain types of shows. And they don't have to, they just don't have to play that game as much. Um, so, of course, we're going to have more diversity on those types of networks, even like Apple TV and, and Hulu and stuff like that. Like, that's an amazing thing. The flip side of that is, not everyone has it, and it's also not promoted in the same way. So you mm. don't always see it unless you have social media. You know what I mean? Like we're not seeing just tons of ads for P-Valley. I actually saw no ads for P-Valley. I just happened to have stars, and I happened to be in the media industry, so I knew it was coming out. Um, but how, do, how does the everyday Joe know that that show was on they, and, and especially if they don't have stars. So, yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It is a double-edged sword, but then, like, everybody's got social media, too. So it's like if somebody yeah. wanted to know about that show, like, they're going to find out. Like, people are going to ask, like, what's on right now? Like, and people right. are going to say, oh, have you heard about P-Valley? Like, I've heard, like, three or four people tell me to watch P-Valley. Yeah, the way that we advertise is definitely different now. It's definitely more word of mouth, um, for sure. For sure. Do I think that that leads to equal 
equal screen time when it comes to promotion, when it comes to who is visibly seen? No. You know, and that's why we are so adamant, especially with our podcast and Wabia Politics, so adamant about, I mean, I watch TV nonstop. I literally could be, I want to like do a competition to figure out (laughs) who I can beat by watching TV. I promise you I can beat anybody in the longest time you sit down and watch TV straight. But anyway. I I would tell you my best friend's wife would give you a run for your money. I'm just Mm going to say that. I'm going to put it out there. And I know she listened to the podcast. She could possibly give you a record. I told her <laughs> she should start your own media company. She's I call her like the TV consultant because when I'm like, love it. I, I'm like, listen, I'm gonna, you know, wife is gone, you know, the kids are gone. It's just gonna be me at home for the weekend. I want to watch some TV. There's a thousand TV shows out there. Please help right. me. What do I need to watch? And she'll just. <laughs> <laughs> she will just run down the list. Down. She'll give me a rundown of the list, and I'm like, okay, I'll watch. You know your suggestion. I, I'm hooked. I'm like, how did you know uh, that this show would? No, but that's a thing, though. Like, that's I do thing. think that that should be. I do think that should be a thing. I like want to start a show about that too. Like, just us talking, especially a black woman. Like, just talking about the shows that people need to be watching that they aren't watching. That's such a thing. And I always try to incorporate that into the podcast in some way too, or even the interviews that we say yes to, or that we actually go after, which is not often. But when I see that a show is not getting any promotion for Mm. whatever reason, that's a Mm. whole, you're in media, you know, that's a whole nother political situation when it comes to who gets promoted and who gets to actually represent a show that's being promoted. That's a whole nother situation. But when we see that happening, we'll literally go after it, go talk to the media people for that, either that network or the agency representing that show, or hopefully like just try to reach out to the star themselves and try to speak to them directly to get them promo. Because a lot of times people just don't know the shit is on. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, It doesn't mean the show is bad. It just means that people don't even understand or know that it's occurring, especially with shows that are, I don't even know why I start this conversation, but it's just something I'm passionate about. (laughs) But but especially shows that are not black centered, but they have quite a few black characters or good storyline that would appeal to black people. I want every black person I know to watch it because I don't, I want us to be like, we don't, and this is another reason why I start this site. We're very well-rounded people. We're not, everything we watch and do does not have to be solely for black people and only black focus. We okay. like a lot of shit. I love, I, when I tell you I watch all TV and I was clearly reading every tablet on earth. So I know every white celebrity on earth and I still okay. loved it. That doesn't mean that I just don't like that stuff. It means I want us to be incorporated too. So when I see it, and I see us being incorporated, but I see that black people don't even know the show exists, I get sad. And I'm like, no, y'all have to be watching that. So like one example of that is, um, if I'm going completely off topic, just tell me, cause I do this, whatever. Talk, talk, <laughs> talk, I love it. Um, one of the shows that I did that with was, what, did you watch Yellowstone or do you watch Yellowstone? I have not heard of Yellowstone. Please educate see, me. See, you see what I mean? <laughs> this is like the Please biggest freaking me. show. So Yellowstone's like the biggest show on Paramount, which used to be Spike TV. Um, the biggest show on Paramount right now. They just got a third season and an amazing, like just a beautiful, amazing show that really could 
be like on premium cable. Like it's an amazingly shot, gorgeous show. But the storylines are so interesting because I don't like, I'm not a cowboy movie girl. I'm not a cowboy show girl. I don't like Westerns. I don't do all that. But my grandfather and my dad are, I mean, I think all black fathers are like obsessed with Westerns. And so I never liked it because I never, it just didn't appeal to me, but it does appeal to a lot of black people because there were some black Westerns and, and black cowboys and that whole thing. My dad is a literal black cowboy. So mm. he has a horse, he does all that. They live on a ranch. They're literal black cowboys. So they like that kind of shit. So I've never really seen it reflected on screen in modern times. So on Yellowstone, yes, it's a white led show and white centered show, but they do incorporate a storyline talking about black cowboys. And I just thought it was such an interesting thing to do because we don't see it. It's not talked about much, but it's a big thing. There's a history to that. And a lot of people might not know that history. And the fact that they incorporated that on such a, like to me, I feel like everybody that watched Paramount is a white Republican. So to even talk about it on a show like that was a big deal to me. And so I'm telling all my friends like, y'all, Y'all need to watch Yellowstone. Like, you are going to get some history. There's an older black cowboy who had a pretty big role, and he was like the the typical older Western cowboy. Um, There's a younger black cowboy on the show and um, a black woman who is kind of like the equivalent of a DA. Just really powerful roles for black people on that show that plays so well into the entire storyline. And I just think that it's something that black people would love to watch not because it needs to be Black-led and Black-centered, but they have good storylines incorporated into an overall story. That's actually a really good story and really compelling as well. So stuff like that is like why I try to go after people when I see them. Um, Same thing for this little show called Trinkets that's on Netflix. Um, One of the characters is in real life a non-binary, a non-binary person. um, And she's by, well, they are biracial, and but they play an actual girl on the show who's biracial, but she they incorporate the idea of colorism, well, the, the, the whole drama of colorism. They incorporate, you know, her being light-skinned and all the drama she goes through with that. Her mother is played by Joy Bryant, and there's another black, black teen on the show who's gay, and so they talk about that storyline, and then they meet up in season two because she doesn't have any black friends. That kind of stuff, I want young, young black people to see, but I highly doubt they even know this show exists. Yeah. So yeah, we try to, yeah, so I try to go after those people. So we're reaching out to her people now or their people now to try to get an interview. When else are we talking to non-binary black people? I think that's an, an amazing type of story to be told firsthand that we don't hear often. So those are the things that, like, I just get really passionate about when I see things that are not spoken about and not put out there the way they should be. I try <laughs> to slide in and do that and be that for those people. Okay, so a black woman in her 30s is saying, you know, it's going to be raining all weekend long. It's just going to be me, this tub of ice cream, and my Netflix, and I got all my channels ready. Natasha, I need you to give me three shows just three? Okay, five. Five. Um, Give me a okay. starting five. What's what's on your starting five right now? I do not. I have way more than starting five. I think I have wait, five wait. minimum a night. 
Okay, plus, so for, plus the ones for, that I'm catching up on, like, you know, stuff that I never watched back in the day that I'm trying to watch now on Netflix. Um, I would say I run the gambit. It's really crazy, my, my, my interest. It's really nuts. So embarrassingly, I love Love Island right now. And I would tell anybody to watch it right now. It's the escape love that you Island. need. That's on Netflix, is it? Is it? No, it's on CBS. CBS. So oh, everybody can watch okay. it. Okay. The thing about it is it comes on every single night except for Saturdays. So month, Sunday through Friday, it comes on. And it's amazing. I don't like The Bachelor or Bachelorette and none of that I only watch because the black girl Rachel was on it. That's the only season I ever watched. But this <laughs> is, if you're a Bachelor fan, you would love it. Mm. I have group text strictly for Love Island and they have incorporated so much <laughs> diversity this season. They already had a lot last season, but this season, like half the cast is black. And I'm like, wait, now what a minute, what, what's happening here? But it's amazing to watch black people fall in love on national TV. That's just mm. not something we get to see ever. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I realistically, yeah. um, not just, not just in a, uh, a fictionalized TV show, like an actual, and you could say reality shows aren't real, but this is, they t- they're doing this every single day. They can only edit this so much. It's literally every day that this comes on. Mm. So in one of the couples, one of the black couples from last season are still together to this day. So there is some realisticness to it, but it's just a fun show to watch. I get very frustrated watching these F boys play around, but Uh-oh. it's like real life. Yes, there are F-boys, but it's like real life. But also, it's just really like when you see two people hit it off and I mean, and they're black and it's like, look at this black love play out on T. I just don't get to see this often. A black woman being worshipped, you know, like being like actually chased and, and, and filled into and like I want her and competed for like that's what black women want to see you know like we just don't get to see that often so Love Island for sure um I would say P Valley if you have not started see the finale already came on but really okay so the first season's already done first season is done now I'm gonna watch Okay, because I was just waiting. <laughs> I was waiting for the first season, and now I'll binge watch that. Okay. Yes, and they've already been renewed for season two, so you would not be love hanging. <laughs> okay, um, P-Valley, Love Island. I'm a huge Big Brother fan. Mm-hmm. Huge. I've watched all 20 seasons, 21 seasons. Big oh, Brother. Wow. wow. And it's on right now. Thankfully, they created, they found a way to have a season, um, since they're already kind of... Uh, off they're in a house alone so i guess it makes sense with COVID. um so big brother uh oh my gosh i feel like i need to open up my dvr and like look um about lovecraft uh you know um, i'm gonna give it another chance but i did watch the first episode and i just i was like okay I, I wasn't into it. I just wasn't like dying over it. So I was like, maybe I need to watch the second episode. So I have it queued up. I'm going to watch it at some point. But I wasn't just like 100% sold on it. I just wasn't. Mm-hmm. But maybe mm-hmm. I, I was not 100% sold on P-Valley at all. I actually texted everybody on my team and said, this show's going to get canceled immediately. This show's horrific. I don't even know how I got on TV. What the hell are these people doing? By episode two, I watched three episodes back to back to back. Like it was amazing. So you never know. You never know. Um, let me see. Tyler Curry is the oval. I don't. I'm, I'm, I don't. <laughs> I'm just 
I'm going through. Mm-mm. No, okay. Shout All out right. to Tyler though. Shout Ty- right. out. You're he, he. They just said he became a billionaire. You I know. This? Do you believe? Yes. That? Like I think. Well, I'm from New Orleans, so I'm always gonna like be extremely excited for any New Orleans person for mm. being any type of successful, but. His level of success is just absolutely admirable. Love it. You don't have to like what he puts out in order to respect him and in order to be extremely happy for him. Um, So I love it. I am so happy. Um, And I love the fact that he employs black people, not just on screen, off screen, you know, like from, from, from catering to, to, I don't engineers to everybody on the staff I love that. And I think that's amazing. Um, so, yeah. yeah. He's got a oh. tremendous, tremendous work ethic. Like, I, I just, oh, yeah. I once read a, a, a story that he did like 19 episodes in four days. I don't know how yeah. that works for the quality of the show. But and I it's think that's what people efficient. have a problem with. <laughs> very efficient. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have a bureaucracy. So he can, just like he got back mm-hmm. to work before every other network he can do that he he, he is can. the network he um is. but yeah you're right quality i do think sometimes could suffer he also does not have a writing room and i think he that doesn't. people think that that's a problem it's a um, big problem yeah i would tell him to his face i like tyler i admire you you're a billionaire you're the man but you got to get a writer's room man you right, gotta get right. some writers he's right he's like proud of himself i wrote this whole thing myself that's not a good right. thing you need right. some other writer. You need some other voices in the room, brother. But you know, shout yeah, out to Tyler. It's tricky. Oh it yeah, I mean he has like a he has a runway built of his new estate that he's building. I mean, I think it's. I love luxury. Obviously, I run a site called Young Black and Fabulous. I like why I am here for all of it. Get all the luxury. What is your sign, if I can ask? I'm a Taurus, and I'm a. All right, so you're a May Taurus. Yeah. I, <laughs> all right, so I, I absolutely knew that you were. As soon as you said you like, you like luxury, I said, okay, that's a Taurus. Oh, God. <laughs> and then, and then Taurus, you've been, though. you've been, you've been, you have so much to say. I'm like, well, okay, she's got to be a May Taurus because May Taurians <laughs> talk a lot. And I was like, oh, okay. My God. <laughs> but I know it because I'm a Capricorn, so I'm a fellow Earth sign. So I totally get it. Okay, I got it. My wife is a Taurus. She's an April Taurian, and her best Got friend it. is a May Taurus. And I, I, I just pick it up. I get it. All right. I get it. All right. So we we've got, got we've got uh, three. We've got. I heard three TV shows from you. Oh no, there's two because you were the one trying to include Tyler Perry. So no. I know. <laughs> um, I was, so Big Brother love. and um, Big, Big Brother. Brother and Love Island. Okay. And. I would say Yellowstone. They actually just wrapped this third season. I think it's third mm. season. Yeah, they just wrapped that like a week or two ago, too. The finale was amazing. Um, mm. So that's done. And there's a few black people that watch it. I saw it on, you know, I went on Twitter, like, I can't be the only black girl watching this. So I saw a couple people talking about it. Okay. Um, so there's that. I would say. Uh, oh God! What else is out? I'm gonna have oh. to like pull up, pull up my DVR or something. Yeah, because I mean, you watch a thousand shows a day. I, like, I know, and I don't, 
I don't know what time. I just let my DVR do everything, so I don't know. Like, how, how long is your days? Like, are, do you have, like, usual 8, 10, 12-hour days, or is it just whatever? Oh, it's all day. Oh, it <laughs> There's be all day. It stops when I fall asleep at the computer or oh, boy. something like that. Um, I mean, because it's more than just content. I have to manage employees. I have to, and that means there's taxes. That means there's payroll. That means there's business items. As well as, of course, content. I'm doing the podcast. I'm doing YBF Politics Vertical, which takes a whole nother set of content that I'm doing myself. Um, then we have multiple social media channels, so we're always updating on those. Um, so there's just always something to do. Like, how big is your team? Like, how many employees do you have at this point? Um, employee, employee. So on actual full-time employees, too. And okay. then freelancers, multiple, <clears throat> um, and, you know, a, a tech team. So um, a company we use with the same people for both server technicians and, um, and developers. Um, and then, you know, graphic designers, uh, video editors, always talking to people because we're rolling out video footage every day now. Um, that's a lot. Um, yeah, so there's always stuff. We have correspondence in every major city, which hasn't been a lot right now because people aren't doing events, but, right. you know, sometimes they'll cover junket, like virtual junkets for me, because mm -hmm. I can't get to everything. So it's, it's a lot of people in one orbit. I understood. I mean, so I know we've, we've mentioned uh, a couple guys. I know, you know, Tyler Perry, he's doing it big, of course. Um, there's also other guys I take a look at in the media, Byron Allen, he's not really in the media like that. Uh, I want to talk about some of the women and I want to, I want to get your opinion on no. whether or not you feel women are getting the adequate, especially black women, uh, are getting the adequate representation, the adequate opportunities and, uh, getting the opportunity to make the most of their star. Uh, in their mm. time. Do you feel like Black women are getting a fair shake? Perfect question to ask right now because I'm about to give you these last three shows so we can be done with it <laughs> because one of them has like the type of women that I want to talk about. But one is Below Deck Mediterranean, an amazing Bravo show. Yes, okay. amazing Bravo show. You're going to love it. It's luxury. It's foolishness. It's all of that. You're going to learn all about yachting more than you ever want to know. Just do it. I would say anything in the Housewives franchise, so like Real Housewives of Potomac is airing right now um, with three black women, no, four black women on it. I'm sorry. All the women are black on Housewives of Potomac. Now I think about it. Yep. Oh, the Potomac? And, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And one is a doctor and, you know, just amazing. I love it. Um, I mean, it's foolishness but I love it. It's good. Um, and the fifth one would be Greenleaf. Greenleaf. Is that show yeah. still on? Yeah. No, it just wrapped its series it, finale a few weeks ago. That's right. I had read about that and uh, a lot of people were sad. Uh, but you yes. think Greenleaf is like, is that like maybe in the top 10 black shows of all time? Oh, For of you? all time? For you. I don't know about them all time mm, maybe top 25 perhaps <laughs> maybe top 25 maybe but definitely not top 10 of all time no okay. um 
but I do think it's an amazing show that is led by women. And uh, we got to interview both Daphne Winans and um, and Merle uh, from the show. And I just, we had like the most amazing discussion. Um, tears were shed. And it just was so therapeutic to talk to other women about the things that we all go through. And it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity, a star or whatever, you're still a black woman mm-hmm. and you still get the same treatment, the same mistreatment, the same judgment, um, because all of us that were on the call are single and not married. Um, actually, I think what? that Daphne, did Daphne just get married? She either just got married or just got engaged, one of the two, and only one of us has kids. So it was just an interesting discussion to see that they go through the same type of judgment, even as successful as they are, that we go through. Um, and I like that that's portrayed sometimes on television, and I like that they are open to talk about things like that. So what kind of I judgment? Love what, I don't want to cut you off. What kind of judgment uh, are, you, are you talking about? Like, what kind of judgment I mean, do you get? If you're an unmarried woman over the age of, I feel like 25, then people <laughs> think there's something wrong with you. And if you don't have kids, oh, well, what, you don't want kids? You don't want it? And it's like, well, why? Do you want me to have a significant other first? Or do you want me, which, what do y'all want? Which I want? Because if I mm-hmm. had just a baby, y'all would judge me for having a baby and no significant other. But now you want me, now it's a problem because I don't have that. So there's always going to be some type of judgment. And I I could go on and on about how this plays into misogyny and how this plays into male alignment and how women are not worthy until we're aligned with the male, whether that's your father or your husband. Um, But that's, that's the kind of society we live in. And you would think that if somebody sees somebody that's so successful, you'd be like, well, maybe she just didn't have time. No. You still aren't, you still aren't whole. You still aren't your best self because you're single. If that's the narrative. That's the narrative. Is that how you feel? Oh, that's that's definitely not how. I don't know any woman that feels like that. That's right. how society wants us to feel, and that's what we're told to feel. Right. And I wanted to ask that and, that question specifically because I know I mm-hmm. see you on Facebook. And I'm not sure when we became Facebook friends. Thank God you friended me. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) uh, because it was like, you know, you're like, I'm a big fan of you. Uh, But I saw how outspoken on women's rights and feminism, and I call you the slayer of hoteps and misogynistic men. Um, You know, is this, (laughs) no, I really do. Like I I mentioned, I mentioned you often more than you probably know. But Uh I was like, um, you know, I wonder how Natasha feels like working in the entertainment sector. Has things mm-hmm. changed for you? Is it easy mm-hmm. to get access? Is it still a male-dominated society mm-hmm. in the media industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course it is. And it's not always as blatant as it used to be, just like racism. It's not as blatant and overt as it was in, you know, during, right before civil rights and and during Jim Crow and all those times, of course not. Like, you literally do not see a KKK member walking down the street with a hood. Does that mean that racism doesn't exist? No. It just exists in other forms. And I think that that's exactly what's happening right now. Yes, we see more and more Black women being represented in various places, Um, whether it's the CEO of a company or in the C-suite of a company or an entrepreneur or, you know, 
on television as an actress, um, radio, singer, whatever. Um, but is it quality representation every single time? Maybe not. Is it respected representation every single time? No. A lot of times it feels like tokenism because that's literally what it is. So just because people are in position doesn't mean that that position is actually being utilized and actually being seen and heard. There's a difference between like this part, oh, this, this network has 25 black actresses. Yes, but doesn't that go back to what I said earlier about, but if no one knows they exist because that network decided not to put any money or effort or resources toward making people know they exist, does it matter? And Good a lot question. of times, that's what it feels like in these times. There's a lot of tokenism happening. There's a lot of performativeness happening. And if that's the first step that people just have to take because they can't figure out how to just look at black women like every other woman, every other woman on earth, I mean, then fine. But you have to evolve from that at some point. And I'm not 100% sure we've totally evolved past it. I'm not saying that we have gotten nowhere but what I'm saying is it's not this drastic difference, you know, oh, wow. from, from, from back in the day. It's, it's really not. Um, when it comes to me and being a businesswoman, I still see the same thing I saw when I first started out. And it's crazy because back then I actually didn't know what it was. I just would take everything personal and just be stressed out and just be like, why am I not, I'm just not enough. It's just not working. And no matter how hard I work. And it just mm. took me to really look at things and research and study and read and see what everyone else is going through as well for me to kind of put the puzzle pieces together to see that this is an industry situation just because we're in a different part of an industry, just because this part of the industry is new digital media is new does not mean that we're just magically not going to have the same exact issues that every woman, especially women of color in Hollywood and the entertainment industry have ever had before. It doesn't mean those issues do not infiltrate the digital media landscape and they do. And those issues that I'm speaking about are the, the inequalities when it comes to marketing the inequalities when it comes to sponsorships and campaigns and revenue and money. Um, and also just visibility as well. This is something I actually talked to Google about too, um, about how I feel like with algorithms and I feel like there was maybe an article about this recently, but with algorithms and, and stuff like that, everything's not always human. Actually, usually it's not human based. So the things that are flagged in, like, say, a Google search engine, the things that are flagged for, for problems, like certain words that are used or images that are used, so therefore your post or whatever it is that you post onto the Internet, whether it's a video or whatever, is not giving premium placement like it would be based on the numbers and based on what you should be getting. If it's not down a peg to page two or page three of Google search because something – was just not right according to the algorithm. They didn't feel like your content was was good content, quote unquote. That's what they like to say, quote unquote, right. good content. And right. they can never really fully explain what good content is. It's and subjective. so when you really get down to the, it's very subjective. And when you get down to the bottom of it, a lot of it is racist. A lot yeah. of it is sexist. 
And I think that is why they don't flat out have these bullet points of every single thing you can and can't do because they don't want you to know, you know, because I get it, you know, AI systems are AI systems. So you do have to be a little blunt when it comes to what you will and won't allow to be searchable or whatever. But I do feel like it's 2020. Like if y'all and y'all are Google, if y'all can't figure out how to not make a system be racist, then what are we doing? Maybe you have racist people creating the the racist system. Like, why why can't we figure this out? So one example is years ago, we got banned from Google for a very long time. Google ads. Google ads. Yes, we got banned from Google ads because um, and we at, at that time, they weren't even doing like outreach. We, we couldn't talk to a human. It was only like, and I had been with like doing Google ads for at that point, I mean, several years, like at least six, seven, eight years. And I had no human interaction. It was only like a automatic response. And I kept trying to ask, what is the issue? What are you flagging? Just keep saying like bad content. What do you mean? I have like 10, 20, 30, 40,000 articles. What, what is that? Come to find out, a couple of years later, that's when they started instituting the whole account managers and outreach and trying to figure out why so many people left Google Ads because mm. of, you banned a lot of us. That's why. And you wouldn't talk yeah. to us. So, yeah. Right. So they invited – I know for me, they invited me to the Google campus here in New York and had lunch and did all these things. And they want to talk about why a site as large as mine is not utilizing Google Ads. Well, because you banned me. Oh, we They didn't even know. Our... Nope. Because they – I mean, you know, Google changes their rules every other day, it feels like. They so really by this do. time, yeah, and by this time, a couple years later, they had completely changed the way they operated. I just didn't trust getting back in bed with them. So I purposely just didn't. And so they called me trying to get me to sign back up with Google Ads and start, you know, utilizing their platform and all these things. And I'm like, I don't feel comfortable because if I start relying on this and I don't know what it was to begin with that was a problem. Like, that's just not a good business move for me. So I started focusing on other networks. And they were like, we totally understand. And that's why we changed so many things. And one of the things that we did flag you for that we know was problematic content was, you know, body parts and nudity. I'm like, I I intentionally don't post sex tapes. I don't post nude people. Like, who do you think I am? Like, I don't post. What are you talking about? If we did post, like, if there was, like, leaked leaked uh, nude pictures. You remember like when Rihanna had leaked nude pictures and all that stuff years ago? Either we didn't post it or we posted completely censored. So it wasn't something that we, like a lot of sites, just throw up there. Like those spammy kind of sites that just post anything. We did not do that. And so what I found out was that even a woman in a bikini is something that is flagged with their system. And for us, that's something we post a lot because we post candidates. We post people on vacation. We post, you know, people just lounging about. Hell, yeah. Megan Stallion posts naked, damn near naked pictures every day, and I love her for it. So it's like, that is what we're going to post because why wouldn't we? It's, it's normal content. Just mm-hmm. like if a man is shirtless on the beach, is that a problem? No, it's not. And so when I finally got to the bottom of that and I – straight up told him, I was like, you do see that that's sexist, right? He was like, I totally understand. And I get where you're coming from. So it's things like that, that have not changed. And they probably never will. Um, The types of words that we use in our headlines and on our posts, sometimes we have to be careful because the algorithm might not know that this is not a bad word. This is vernacular that we use in our community. So it's things like that, that are kind of not hidden types of racism, but 
things that the public public facing people they're just not going to see no. but it does affect us you know what i'm saying yeah. um so things like that i don't think have changed but when it comes to visibility you know like i mean it's cool to be sitting on panels and to do speaking engagements and to you know even have people like you ask me to speak on your podcast like that's amazing i will say that is it still equal no you know there are mainstream types of panels and conferences that are still not inclusive and get called out for it every single year um, yeah yeah i think i posted one several months ago and um i posted like the speaker lineup of I think it was like new entrepreneur, I think it was an entrepreneurship uh, conference, like literally entrepreneur magazine or something like that. And they were like the most diverse group of new entrepreneurs ever. Uh. Literally everyone was a white person and mainly all white men. The definition of diversity was more like in what they did, not necessarily culture, race, gender, everything else. And I'm like, do y'all still see like, Right. Do y'all still see what we go through? Like black women are the fastest group of entrepreneurs, fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in this country and have been for the last almost five years. Yet for entrepreneur magazine, and I don't even want to say that because it might not be the right magazine, but for an entrepreneur based magazine, that's very popular. And I can't remember the exact one. Y'all did an entire panel about entrepreneurship, modern entrepreneurship, and not one black woman was on it. That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, that's a big freaking problem. So we don't have to be, yeah, we don't have to be relegated to Black-only spaces. We're not only getting Black coin, like we're getting everybody's coin, and we're talking to everyone just from a Black perspective. So why can't we be seen in all spaces as well? I agree with this 100%. We need to be seen a lot more. And now, even more so in the political scale, you know, we've got Mm -hmm. a huge election, as we know, coming up. Uh, we know there's going to be a huge media frenzy. Thankfully, you're here for it, uh, more so than <laughs> any others, because there's only been so much political stuff I can take. Uh, going into the political space, like, what's your biggest takeaway from interviewing politicians and people who are close to political scene? What is it that Black people you think are missing? Oh, I just talked about that today. Um, I think that we're missing authenticity. Um, We're missing genuineness, um, action, accountability, and actual issues that we have being spoken about, once again, on large platforms, not just at a conference that is strictly for black people only for black people and has you know 1000 attendees why are these issues that hugely affect all 13 plus million black people in america and especially when we're the ones at the forefront of a lot of different things why aren't these big issues being spoken about on mainstream platforms to the people that have the power to change those issues so that's that's what's missing uh, yeah, that sounds like a lot that's missing right there, for sure. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. For, for me, what I always talk about when it comes to politics is, you know, Black people need to know who does what. Like, mm-hmm. straight up. Like, you need to know what a senator actually does. 
You need to know yeah. the difference between a state representative. You need to know what a congressman does. You need to know what a, a, a city rep does. You need to know what a comptroller right. does. These are, I think that the fact that there's really no database, there's no website that really spells out what each political individual oh, no. does <laughs> shows a yeah. lot about what this country <laughs> is hiding. And what I'm really hoping with your podcast and your platform is that you really show uh, the black community who these people are and what they do. And I, yes, clarity and I, is one of the big things um, yes. that that I wanted to attack. And even with our press release, we talked about that in our very first post on at YBF Politics. I broke down what the Supreme Court is, what the DA, what a DA is, what um like what kind of power do they have? What are ADAs? What kind of power do they have? Why do people care about the district attorney? Why do people care about federal judges versus Supreme Court judges? Um, you do have to break down these positions, and we try to do it according to what's going on right now so people can immediately apply the knowledge that they're getting. So we talked about the district attorney situation during the Ahmad Arbery case when it first started um, because the district attorney was such a big deal in that people need to understand why a special prosecutor was brought in what is a special prosecutor what is this whole like what are we doing how do we get to justice and i think people just don't know that everything's a process i always say and i, I used to get really mad at people like damn it we all learned about this in civics why don't y'all know but hell like just some people keep things and some people don't. Just like I can't tell you nothing about high school chemistry, but a chemist probably knows everything about it. For me, civics is like very simple to me and very, it comes very easy to me. I'm very interested in it. So I don't understand how everybody doesn't know what all these positions do, but it is what it is. So I want to use my platform to not dumb things down, but just to literally inform so that people can take those things and be like, huh, I know that the district attorney's job is to do X, Y, and Z. So why aren't you, Mr. District Attorney? Why aren't you doing that job? That is what you're supposed to do. So now I'm not going to vote for you because you didn't do your job. That's what I want to happen. I want people to understand the responsibilities and the job description to know who's doing their job and who's not and how to hold them accountable. That's why I love you. That's why I got love from <laughs> Natasha. Uh, I appreciate this so much. So before, before we go, I always end my podcast with rapid fire and rapid fire mm -hmm. is just a quick game where I say something and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. This is going to be a very easy game mm -hmm. for you because you are very witty and you have things to say. This oh, doesn't really? work very well with all my guests, but I'm going to take a guess <laughs> it's going to work well with you today. All right, so are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, here's my word, New Orleans. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, is New Orleans a word? Yes. Oh, gumbo and home. Mm. Manhattan. Stressful as fuck. Netflix. My Escape. Kamala Harris. Ooh, I want to say what I want to say, but I don't want to say it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say it. Amazingly perfect, but it will not matter. Wow. Wow. But it might not matter. It wow. might not matter. 
might not matter. I think that that's uh, wow. I could go off on a whole tangent. You're gonna mess up my rapid fire game. All right, let me go back. We can talk uh, about it after. We can talk, let about, it talk about it after. Um, Oprah. Um. Billion dollar goals. Mm. Network television. Uh, necessary evil. Dating. Child. <laughs> the YBF. My baby. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Natasha, this is amazing. Thank you so much. This is my best episode yet. Thank God oh, I was able to get you, you on. I, you know, I say that to everybody, but I actually mean it with you. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Don't get too excited. I know. Everyone. Oh, God. Natasha, um, you've got the YBF.com, uh, of course. That is, the, you know, the baby. And, of course, the mm -hmm. YBF podcast. And you've got the YBF political platform, which is on IG, I mm believe. -hmm. And where mm -hmm. else can we find you? Oh, um, I'm at Natasha Renee personally on Instagram. And we're on Twitter at the YBF Daily. That's where I usually just repost people that I think are real funny and snarky and say the stuff that I'm not really allowed to say. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I do on Twitter. <laughs> um, and I'm on Facebook, but I keep Facebook pretty like people that I know, but you can subscribe and see the things that I post for the most part. So Natasha Eubanks on Facebook and Fantastic. also at the YBF on Facebook. At the YBF, um, follow it all. Yes. Oh, and for Kamala, why I said that is because, not because it shouldn't matter. It's because the people that have an issue with her, and we can go on and on about why they have an issue with her based on improper and false knowledge um based on that and misogynoir mm. they're never going to change their mind no matter what she does says or anything like that they're set in how they perceive her and that is what it is so hopefully she is just just being her best bomb self that she could be without worrying about that sector of people but to a lot of people no matter what she does it will not matter they're dead set on believing the things they believe about her. I agree with this. And I know that there was a, a, a certain group of black men who were really pushing mm -hmm. Joe Biden not to pick her, mm -hmm. saying that we've mm -hmm. already got the black base. We don't need a black woman. I thought it was very fascinating how they didn't want a black woman in charge. Um, hmm. She's really a heartbeat away from becoming the president if uh, they, you know, the Democrats do come through and uh, win the election. I think it's, it's very tricky very very tricky as politics always are natasha mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. worried for kamala i'm worried and and, and the reason why i'm worried is because i think she's tough enough to deal with the oh, hate. of course uh, she's she's more than tough enough to deal with the hate uh my mm -hmm. fear is that they're using her confidence against her not because of her ability to do the job but i'm really more concerned about the economy and I feel like mm -hmm. the economy could take a nosedive. And, you mm -hmm. know, old Joe can feign illness and put her in charge and potentially <laughs> overwhelm her with a situation that really is going to be impossible for any president to deal with. But I would say the stakes are really, really high because if mm -hmm. Kamala can lead the country somehow, 
through the turmoil of the economy tanking from Trump's ridiculous policies and his absolutely mm -hmm. asinine leadership, then mm -hmm. she could, I mean, she could literally take the image of black women and make them beyond superheroes to the world and it would be undeniable. Look what this woman brought us through. Well, two things about that. One, it won't matter what she does and doesn't do. We saw with Barack Obama everything that he did, and it doesn't matter. You know, if people have an, a, a perceived notion about you, and if people want to hate you and want to think lowly of you, they will do that. And they will lie to do it, but they'll do it. And so, I mean, there's tons of people who think Obama was the worst president on earth. Well, we all know he literally did what no other president has done in minty, 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 minty ways. So there's nothing, even if she was a superhero, it doesn't, it, it depends on who you're trying to convince, you know, like it will not be just the end all be all. Oh, well, now everyone knows she's a superhero. No, people, there will still be people who think that she's a horrific person. And that is just what it always will be. There are people that are threatened by people like her. They were, they're still threatened by Obama. It's the same thing. Um, so I wouldn't expect, even if she did the impossible, people still going to be mad. People still going to hate. People still going to think black women are what they think. It doesn't matter. We and just see, have to is, uplift our own. This is the, and I, I agree with you. This is the power of the media though, because at what point do we get to feel like their opinion doesn't matter anymore? Like how much power so, do we give to their right. feelings about Kamala Harris? Like, why do I care if you think that Kamala Harris is the worst possible thing on earth? Like your opinion. So the thing is, I don't think many media entities are actually covering that that much, actually. I think it's kind of what we talked about earlier with social media being its own media entity. So just yeah. like networks don't have to necessarily use the media anymore as much as they used to to get out the word about their show, we don't have to, racists and sexists don't have to use the media to, to let it be known that they exist. It's, in, it's in our face every single day. So whether or not a media entity reposted it or did a story about it, and I actually surprisingly haven't really seen much of that. Um, and I credit people like Valerie Jarrett with that, who went to media right, right as she was being announced as the VP nominee and basically pleaded with them asking, hey, please pay attention to how you're speaking about Kamala Harris. Please pay attention to the words that you use, the stories that you choose to write, to understand who she, like, she's the first woman of color to do this job. Be cognizant of that and don't play into the, the bullshit. That's basically what her, her letter said in a nutshell. And I think people have kind of, have, have taken heed to that. I haven't seen much Kamala hate or smear campaigns from media. Now I have seen it just on social media from random people who want to use Twitter and incels on Reddit and stuff like that, doing what they do. And unfortunately, that permeates just as much. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I wish that it didn't. And that's where Facebook comes into play and their responsibility. Yeah. But that's a whole other issue. Um, you know, they regulate what they want to regulate. Mm. Oh, and the other part of that is, Eh, the black woman superhero thing. Eh. You don't like it. Yeah, we just Why have to be really like careful. It? 
we just have to be careful with that. Like we're not, we're not necessarily super, super human or super women or anything like that. It's like, we do, what we have to do despite the circumstances. Should we be respected and uplifted and praised for that? Yes. But not unless you're also working to change the fact that that's what we have to do. So I want both. I don't want it to be, yeah, we can keep putting all this ridiculous, crazy, uh, unfair and undue pressure and horrible circumstances on all black women because they could take anything basically treating us like a mule that's what it sometimes comes to and actually a lot of times that's what it comes to and it ends up just us fighting to survive and this is why heart disease is one of the leading causes of women dying especially younger women now of black women dying in particular but all women because of the pressures that we deal with and the stress that we deal with because we're trying to live up to this superwoman you know persona and we can't talk about it if we do talk about it then we're told we're weak or we're told it doesn't it's not really real (laughs) you know like when we talk about sexism and racism oh that doesn't really happen to y'all Megan, Megan right. Stallion no, said no. she got shot by a man and y'all said it didn't happen. So, I mean, like, <laughs> like we're kind of stuck, you know, we can't talk about the things happening to us, but when we do, we're told it doesn't exist. So I don't want to just keep calling women super women or superheroes. We're everyday women and everyday humans who deserve the same grace and deserve the same fairness in life so that we don't have to be superheroes. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I accept it. I receive it, and I stand corrected. That that that's actually no. a really good point. <laughs> I know no, you I, didn't I, come from a bad place, so no, no, not at all, not at all. But I think you made a fantastic point, and there's everything. You know, even as a black man, I'm learning each and every single day. Uh, there should be a bigger narrative to humanize black women, and I mm-hmm. I think we don't realize how inhumane society treats black women mm-hmm. to the point where little things like even childbirth uh where oh, gosh. you know it's it's really fascinating because you know we had a round table group discussion with a bunch of black guys who were fathers and they talked about you know how their wife or their significant other recovered after giving birth and you know there's a few guys they were like really upset because their wife was you know really slow to recover and then they were going through postpartum depression. And well, what the hell are you depressed mm-hmm. for? There's a new baby here. Yep. Are you supposed to be happy? Ain't you a strong black woman? What the hell's going on here? Yep. And I think that we really had to break down that, hey, like this whole strong black woman thing, like I don't know exactly where it came from, but we need to start humanizing women. Like women right. are human. Like it takes time for right. them to recover you know a little bit and and we can't just put a time (laughs) limit like okay you're supposed to be back to working and get back to work and doing all this type of stuff uh there should be a bigger narrative to humanize black women and i think it would be great to see this uh in film and in television absolutely Uh, and also in our administration regardless of who the administration is Part of the reason why people think women are, aren't human is because there's no legislation saying we are. You know, maternity mm. leave is not a national thing. Maternity leave is not a, a forced, I don't want to say forced, but it's not a thing that must happen. It's not mandatory. Like in every other developed country on earth, it's a mandatory thing that every single company must adhere to. That's not the way here in America. You have to hope you work for a company that will give you a few days 
Yeah. You have to no, hold. No, this is true. And this so is absolutely true. That kind of, I think people don't realize how even laws kind of condition us to think about what's normal and, and what's not. So the, things like that are definitely, um, you know, the things that we can and can't get taken care of, whether or not we have it included in our insurance, but men can get the world. They can get Viagra and get whatever they want with their insurance, but we have to hope our insurance gives us birth control. We have to hope that it will take care of us if we almost die in childbirth. Like there's things that are purposely and intentionally ignored um, legislatively <clears throat> um, that kind of make it seem like women are not real. So, That's, yeah. And, and then, then on top of that, men don't even have birth control made for them, whereas women have birth control. Oh, yeah. And if you ask women. a doctor that, you'll, you'll ask them, why, why is that? Oh, because there's no research for male birth control. Why isn't there research for male birth control? Because mm. someone has to pay for it and fund it. Mm. Guess who funds those types of things? Venture capitalists, as well as just, you know, people who are donors and just want to give away their money sometimes. 99% of the time, venture capitalists and extremely wealthy people are white men. That's true. Fair, so they yeah. dictate what is studied. That's true. And what's well, creative. Well, so, what yeah. am I going to say to that? What, what, what can I say <laughs> to that? Absolutely nothing. This is a, uh, this was a fantastic interview. I really appreciate you coming on and, and taking some time to speak to me. Um, are you ever going to get on front of the big screen? You're going to... Uh, like being an actress? Yeah, actress or, or a talk I'm a horrible or... actress, no. Um, never <laughs> been a desire of mine. <laughs> like, I don't think I can like hide my, my facial expressions and like just me. I don't know how to be fake. Like it just, it irritates me. I can't do it. But um, something I definitely want to do is I've always wanted to be on a talk show or have my own talk show. That is 1000% been my dream for 15 years now. So um We'll see. That's that's in the cards, I hope. Make that happen and, and I'll be I'll in try. position to be a guest. <laughs> Trust me. Thank I'll be you. there. All right. Thank you so much, Natasha. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the New Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson. You can subscribe to this podcast on any platform podcast play. See you next time.